Good morning. Please open with me to the book of Hosea. It's just a little bit to the right of Ezekiel. There's Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Hosea 6, 3. A little background on the book of Hosea. Hosea is prophesying right around the time that the northern kingdom Israel is going to fall. And it seems like maybe a little bit after they they fell to Assyria. And so what the prophet is doing is he is calling people back to a love relationship with the Lord. And that's why when it opens up, he... um, The illustration is given, and he uses this illustration of Hosea and this unfaithful woman. He says, go marry her, because I want want to show people what it's like to be married to someone who's unfaithful. And he basically says, go marry this woman that's not going to be faithful to you. And this is really, really helpful to see, because it shows, even in the Old Testament, commandments were not the big thing. The love relationship with God was the big thing. That's why he says later on in Hosea, he says, I desire loyalty and not sacrifice. I want more than just just these things you're bringing me. I want your heart. And that's why he gives this imagery. And so then he goes on in chapters 1 and a little bit into chapter 2 to enumerate, to list out the sins of Hosea. I mean, not of Hosea, but of of Israel. And then then in 3 he says this. He says... 3.1, then the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, even though they go to other gods. He says this woman, from the time he married her to now, she's been unfaithful to him. He says, Hosea, go love her again. Because not I want to show people what I'm like, and that's what he's like. He loves and he has compassion despite their failings. And he's calling them back, again, not to religion, not to going to church more, even reading books, even reading the Bible more. Although those are all necessary things, he's calling back their heart. That's what he wants from them. And so that's kind of the backdrop and of this whole situation. And in chapter 6, Hosea speaks... And Hosea calls these people back to this love relationship. So I want to speak today just on this general subject of pressing on to know the Lord. Pressing on to know the Lord. And we'll do it with six, um, chapter 6, verse 3. And there's three basic things we're going to talk about. Number one, our aim, which is knowing the Lord. Number two, our effort which is pressing on. And number three, our hope, which is that He will come to us. He will come to us. So, let's talk about our aim, knowing the Lord. What is the big thing in this verse? I mean, it's really the big thing in the whole book of Hosea. And then it goes out even further than that. It's really the big thing in all of the Bible. As far as our responsibility, what's going on in our lives, it's to know the Lord. Now, that's so basic. I mean, it is so basic, and it's so easy just to, 
just to not let that sink in. Because we, we learned that years ago. And there can be this danger in the Christian life of always looking for something new. You're always looking for some new insight. Some, you know, cutting-edge type insight maybe others haven't seen or only a few people have seen. Or there's this danger of always, or that you can only get encouraged by someone saying an old thing in a new way. You know, maybe they illustrate it differently, and that's what encourages you. But really, if we just do a few things well, that's going to be pretty good. And really, that's why Christ just distilled all of the commandments for us. He said, listen, you know, there's all these commandments, but let me, let me just sum this up for you to make it so it's not complicated. Love. You love me, you love other people, you've got the whole Christian life. And that's what we're talking about here today, a love relationship with the Lord. This is the big thing. Listen to this, and I'll just read these verses to you. This is what Christ said about that. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He said, this is the big deal. You want to know what eternal life is about? It's about knowing the Lord. The prophets highlighted this. One instance of this, Jeremiah 31, 34, talking about our days in the new covenant. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, saying, know the Lord, for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. He's saying, you want to... You want to know what the new covenant is going to be about? It's not going to be like this old covenant where only a few people knew the Lord. And you kept having to go to your neighbor and say, you need to know the Lord. He says, in the new covenant, everybody that's in that covenant will know the Lord. And that's encouraging. That's really encouraging. Because if you're like me, you feel your own failings sometime. Like I was talking about earlier, you tend to focus on that. Well, the reality of it is, if you're a Christian, you know the Lord. And if you look back over your life and the pattern of where you were to where you are now, there's a difference. Obviously, we're grieved over our lack of progress, but we see a difference. Why? Because he said, you're going to know the Lord. Paul highlights this as the goal of all ministry. He says, and he, Christ, gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Why did he give ministers to equip the saints so that the saints could do the ministry? He says this, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. What are we trying to do when we're ministering to each other? When each person in the body of Christ invites somebody over for hospitality, catches them after, uh, you know, after a meeting, calls them on the phone, writes them an email, what's going on there? It's one Christian trying to help another Christian to know the Lord a little bit better. That's the big thing. That's what we're trying to do. And it happens in all sorts of ways. Sometimes it happens. You just take their kids for a night so that they can catch a breather. Why? You love them. You love them, and you want to give them time to get refreshed again. Give them time to know the Lord. So there's all sorts of ways that this happens. This is not just something like, only if you stand up here, or only if you play this piano, or only if you have this specific skill set, or this knowledge level, can you help someone else know the Lord. You're all equipped. If you're a Christian, you are equipped for this. This is what Paul traded his whole life for. More than that, This is what Paul said. I count 
all things lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Everything. He said, I, I just set over here everything that I've got. Everything. Absolutely. I'll just go ahead and set over here everything I don't even have. Just everything. All of that looks like a big dump heap to me compared with what it's like to know the Lord. And I really appreciated what he highlights here. He says, so that I may gain Christ. He doesn't say so that I may know more about Christ. Like this kind of abstract thing. He's talking about a personal relationship. I don't want to just read books about Christ. I want to know Christ. And that's a question to ask you this morning. Do you know about Christ? Or do you actually know him as a person? That's what Christianity is. Religion is all this other stuff. Christianity is knowing Christ as a person. And seeing that surpassing value. So what I want to do is just call us back to remember what thrilled our hearts at the beginning. You know, I can remember at the beginning of my Christian life, um, forgiveness was wonderful. It was wonderful. I was so, I was so excited in the beginning. Um, forgiveness of sins, it was amazing. And you know, that thrilled your heart. But the, but the big thing, the big thing was Christ. It's like now you're walking with this person and he's glorious. I mean, you just can't think enough about him. And you're reading the Bible like you're looking through a window to see something else. You're reading the Bible to meet with Christ. You're praying not because you had some deal to check off or you had some schedule. You're praying because you just love to be around him. I can remember, I can remember coming home. I was saved at a conference and I came home. And I remember going up in my room a few weeks later and singing Shout to the Lord. You guys remember that song? We don't sing it very much. It's, a lot of you know that song. But I was singing Shout to the Lord, and my theology was so messed up, I opened the window just to make sure God would hear. <laughs> but I confess something to you. I miss those days. I don't know what, I don't know what happened or what happens that life gets so busy and somehow, it's like what Paul says, you're drawn away from this, uh, the purity and simplicity of devotion to Christ. It's not complicated. It's just, it's pure and simple. That's what he's saying. Devotion to Christ. But we get busy, don't we? And it's, it, it has nothing to do with how busy you are in your life. At least not with me. It, happens, it has everything to do with how busy you are in your heart. There's all these other things that start crowding in. But really, it's pure and simple. It's just Christ. So we just need to be reminded of what Christ called the better part. And one exhortation along these lines of, of knowing the Lord, I want to encourage you that there is no way that this can happen without time alone with the Lord. You're, there's no escaping that. There's were these movements, I don't know if they're still doing this, but a few years ago, there were these big movements about really, you know, having quiet times and things. That's not the big thing. The big thing is walking with God, you know, throughout your day and things like that. Well, I don't know if you're like me. I think most people are. If I don't get consistent time with the Lord, 
there's no amount of communion that I can try and do throughout the day that makes up for that. It's like that you're, you're there, you know he loves you, but it's, you're just, it's like you're just one step behind. It's like you can't quite catch up in your own life and in your own mind. We need consistent times alone with the Lord. And this is, uh, this is especially true, you know, even in busier seasons. The thing that you don't need to do is to put a preset time on what time with the Lord looks like. That's what we do. I mean, just put this in the context of a normal, of a normal relationship. I've been doing this a lot lately. This is helpful. When you have a question about interacting with the Lord, just think about another person. That's why Christ took on flesh and dwelt among us. He says, you can relate to me. I, I'm a man. You can, you can relate to me. God is personal. Well, imagine, you know, someone you love, someone you have affection for. If you, uh, you know, you called them up and said, or you came home, if it's a spouse, a child, a parent, something like that, and you said, I just want to make sure I spend 30 minutes with you every day. <laughs> That's weird. <laughs> I mean, imagine if somebody, if you, they came to you and said that, you'd just say, you're being weird. <laughs> Why? Because when you really love someone, you're, you're with them. You know, as much as you can get an opportunity, you're with them. You're there with them. It doesn't have to do with all of these silly ideas we get from books and hearing about other godly people who did this, and now that's going to be our life. You can't wear that armor. All you can do is be exactly who God wants you to be. And I'm not worried about telling Christians that, like, man, you're going to, let, you're going to cut them loose now. They're never going to spend time with the Lord. You already want to spend more time with the Lord than you're getting to. It's true because you're a Christian. And what I'm saying is love Christ and let that whole time thing take care of itself. Now, I especially want to highlight something here about the busier times. You know, and especially what I want to do is shift this a little bit from time alone with the Lord. Now you're out and about. Now you're out and about. Now you're, um, you know, you're at your job, you're a parent at home taking care of your kids, you're at school, and life is busy. You can still walk with, those, with God during those seasons. You can still know the Lord and flourish and grow as a Christian during the busy seasons of life. We treat these times like it's something that we just kind of got to drop an anchor and wait till it blows, blows over, and then we'll try and make progress. There is not a season in your life that Christ will not walk with you through. There's not a season in your life that Christ will not feed you and love you and commune with you that you can make advances in the Christian life. We need to be reminded of that because it does feel like we're dropping anchor a lot of times in those busy seasons. Let me illustrate this. Of the pleasure of God in His people during busy seasons when they're wanting to be with Him more. Um, there are times when I can tell my kids just want to be around Rachel and I. They just want to be around us. Like yesterday, I was down in my I was down in my study, and I hear these little footprints coming through the carpet, and all of a sudden a head pokes in the door, kind of looking like, "Will you let me in? Will you not let me in?" I gave him the "You can come in" look, and he came in. Then his sister followed him in. And actually what they were doing was they were playing. They, 
I was, in one sense, I couldn't figure out why did they come down here? Because they just started playing again. They had their little things they were playing with them. Um, you know, which, by the way, you have no idea how hard it is to have um, a bat cave being built on your bookshelf while trying to read a minor prophet. <laughs> so we had to cut that short a little bit. But what amazed me about it was I realized something. They're, they're, not, uh, they're not paying attention to me on one level. They're so caught up in their toys. But the thing is, they just like being around me. That thrilled my heart. I mean, that made me so happy to see these kids come in, and they like, they like me. They do this to Rachel. They like Rachel so much that even though they're taken up with other things, they just like to know that we're close by. Man, that thrilled me. And here's the thing. I'm evil. I'm, I'm broken. I, st I still have so much flesh that's left in me. And it still thrills my heart to see that. Wouldn't you think that God would be infinitely more of the Christian who's in such a busy time in their life that they can't give that dedicated time to the Lord that they want to, but they just like to know that he's close by? That's, that's, that's amazing. I thought about this even with, you know, um, <laughs> our early morning men's prayer meetings. I can tell there, there are some times when the elevator hasn't quite gotten to the top yet. <laughs> we're, we're still pretty sluggish. But I, th I thought about this two weeks ago. I thought about, you know what? I, you imagine, you know, there's this parent... And the next day, it's a dad. He's going to be leaving on his business trip. And, you know, he has to wake up super early in the morning. So he gets up while it's still dark, gets everything ready. And right as he's about to go out the door, he sees his daughter walk out. And why did she come out? Well, she just wanted to be with him one more time. Now, he knows that basically she's asleep with her eyes open. I mean, that's basically what's going on here. But the big thing is she just wanted to be with him. What would happen? He'd cancel the business trip. We're going to the park. I mean, that would just, that thrills you as a parent. It thrills you as a friend when you see that sort of thing. It thrills you when you see your parents do that sort of thing. When you have someone that you sent so much affection from them that they'll jump through obstacles just to be around you. That's the way the Lord's like. I mean, you know, I, I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about trying to give God your second best. You know, he had a lot to say about that in Malachi. He says, you're bringing all these second-hand sacrifices. Would you give your governor that? Like, what, what do you think he would think if you showed up with what you're trying to present me? So we're not talking about, you know, some, some lower level of Christianity. We're just highlighting what A.W. Tozer said. He said, God is not hard to live with. That's, that's the reality. Knowing him is everything. As a side note, I just want to highlight one thing here. It says, let us know the Lord. It does not say, let them know the Lord. That's very important. Because there can be this subtle temptation to subcontract your relationship with Christ to someone else. You start trying to live off of them. Um, I remember there was one time when Paul Washer was at a... <laughs> I don't know if it was a mission conference or some sort of banquet, but it was at a church, and he sensed this reality in, in that meeting. He sensed sort of this trying to live off of someone else, and he was supposed to get up <clears throat> and tell, tell stories about what the Lord had done in his life and through his life, 
And all he did was he got up to the podium and said, go get your own stories. Now, that seems like, man, I I was mean. No, it's not mean. You think it's going to help folks more to hear something like that? It's a sharp rebuke. It takes you back. It makes you think, like, I have to think about this. It jars you. That's love. That's love. Let me ask you this. Do you have your own stories? Or do all your stories involve someone else? You can do this with biographies. You can do this with sermons on tape. You can do this Sunday to Sunday. You're just trying to live off of what you're getting on Sunday. You can't relegate your your love relationship with Christ and try and live through someone else. It's let us know the Lord. You can't just think someone else will be praying for Sunday morning. So I don't have to pray. This happens at conferences. There's so many godly people going to be here. I know the Lord is going to show up. Well, in one sense, that, that's a good and right thought. God loves his people. He's going to show up. But in another sense, there could be this idea that everybody else has got it covered. Somebody else is going to be at the prayer meeting. Somebody else is going to be doing this or doing that. Let us know the Lord. Number two, our effort. Our effort, pressing on. What I want to highlight here is this. It doesn't say stroll on. It doesn't say walk on. It says press on. That word press assumes that it's going to be difficult. The word pressing assumes that there are going to be times in your life, many times, that you have to go against what you feel. I mean, did Christ say, take up your cross bi-weekly and follow me? It's not what he said. He said daily. Every day of your life, this is quite a thought, every day of your life, there is going to be something, at least something, probably a lot of things that you're going to have to die to. Every day of your life, there are going to be situations when you don't feel like doing the right thing, but you do the right thing anyway. There's no way to get around it. There is some point when you've got to walk and you've got to press and you've got to keep going. Because in difficult times... I confess the easiest thing to do is just to try and lay down and hope it blows over. You're just, you just kind of stop. You're trying to veg out. You're just trying to not think as much as possible and hope somehow this thing will go away. That's not what he says. He says, let's press on. Let's, let's do the things we don't feel like doing. Let's face difficulty. That's what it's going to take and that's what it's going to require uh, let, me, let me read you a little short section here from Pilgrim's Progress that illustrates this point of pressing on. He says, Then Interpreter took him and led him up towards the door of the palace, and behold, at the door stood a great company of men as desirous to go in, but did not. There also sat a man at a little distance from the door and a table side with a book and his inkhorn before him to take down the names of them that should enter therein. He saw also that in the doorway stood many men in armor to keep it, being resolved to do to the men that which that would try and enter what hurt and mischief they could. Here's the picture. 
person trying to get into this palace. There's a guy out there with a table. He's got an ink pen, and he's writing down the names of people that are going to try and get through all of these armed men to get into this castle. That's the picture here. And it's a picture of fighting in the Christian life. Here's what happened. Now was Christian somewhat in, am- in amazement. At last, when every man started back for fear of the armed men, I mean, they're just melting away. They're like, I, I, this, this doesn't seem worth it to me. So they, they stop. They don't even try to fight. When that happened, Christian saw a man of a very stout countenance come up to the man that sat there. Now, listen, you, I read that wrong when I first read that. I read that as a man of a very stout stature. He's, he's built. He's big. You know, he's the kind of guy that like, well, if anybody here is going to do this, he's going he's to make it through. He's, he's not big. He's got a stout countenance. In his mind, he's thinking, I'm going through that door. I, you can kill me, but you're going to have to kill me trying to get through that door because it's worth it to be in there. He saw a man of very stout countenance come up to the man that sat there to write, saying, Set down my name, sir. The which, when he had done, he saw the man draw his sword and put on a helmet and rush towards the door upon the armed men who laid upon him with deadly force. But the man was not discouraged at all. He fell to cutting, cutting, cutting. <laughs> he fell to cutting and hacking most fiercely. Soon after he had received and given many wounds to those that attempted to keep him out, he cut his way through them all and pressed forward into the palace, at which there was a pleasant voice heard from those that were within, even those that walked upon the top of the palace, saying, Come in, come in, eternal glory, thou shalt win. That's the Christian life. There's, I mean, there's times when you're, you're just in an outright fight, with yourself, your flesh. You're in an outright fight with the world. You're in an outright fight with the devil. But it requires effort. It requires pressing on. It, require, it assumes the fact that this is going to be hard. And I'm thankful for that because it means that God knows that. God knows it's going to be hard for you. Christ was a man. You realize that the man in heaven who's standing at the right hand of God for you, he's a man who knows what it's like. That is so encouraging. He's able to come to your aid and sympathize with you in your weakness. He knows all about that. So we're going to have to press past all kinds of things. But what is our hope? Our aim is to know the Lord. Our effort is going to require pressing. But what's the hope? Is it that, you know, somehow we're going to get this pressing thing right? And if we press long enough and we press hard enough, is that our hope? I mean, are you really hoping, you know, that you're going to get this thing right and that's what's going to make God show up? That's what's going to make this sweet sense of communion? Or even when you don't have that and it's black as midnight in your life, but His Word told you so you believe it anyway? That's not our hope. Our hope is He will come to us. And he comes like the spring rain, watering the earth. That's amazing. Every other religion says we will come to him. Christianity says he will come to us. That's why you can't be proud coming to being a Christian. 
You want to become a Christian? Humble yourself. You're going to have to lose your life. You've got to lay it all down. Nobody becomes a Christian holding on to anything. But becoming a Christian doesn't mean I'm hoping I lay it all down right. And that if I, if I lay it all down right, that's what will pull the lever and I get to become a Christian. Becoming a Christian is simply saying, Lord, I can't get to you. I need you to come to me. And here's my life. It starts with just being honest. Just being honest. He will come to us. I view pressing on. I view us pressing on to him and he coming to us. I view it like a person who's got a garden. And there's this big tree that's grown up beside the garden and it's blocking the sun. All pressing on is, is cutting that tree down so that the sunlight can get in. You're just trying to keep the things out of the way so that this love relationship continues to flow through you. It's not this idea that you're going to get out there and you're going to make this thing grow. You're going to do something, make it grow. No, you're just you're trying just to keep everything out of the way because you already are a new person. He's, that's why he says, abide in me. He doesn't say, I hope you get to the top of this mountain. He says, you're already there. Just stay there. When things try and pull you down, just don't let them pull you down. When something tries to block the light out of your life of Christ, these temptations come, don't give in to them. Just keep the channels open. That requires hard work. And it is not fun. It's not fun a lot of times. You don't feel like doing it, but you do it anyway because he's worth it. He's worth it. Notice, his coming is certain. Some days are cloudy. Some days aren't. There are some days where it rains. There's a lot of days that it doesn't, if you're here. There's some days that are cold and hot, and a lot of times you really can't depend on what the weather's going to do the next day or what's going to be going on outside. But one thing you know, the sun's coming up. And that's what he says. That's, why, that's how he wants to communicate how certain this thing is. He says, his going, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn. That's quite a thought. Do you realize, children, I want you to think about this. Just listen to me for a moment, children. Do you realize when you go outside and you look up at the sun, you're looking at the same sun that Adam and Eve were looking at? Isn't that incredible? That was a long time ago. But every single day since God said, let there be lights in the sky, every single day the sun's come up. Now there was one day when the sun stopped, but it was already up. That's the way the Lord is. Here's what God wants you to know about Him. He wants you to know He's just like that sun. Whenever you go outside and every time you look at the sun, you need to think about God will always do what He said He will do. I can trust God. Just like I can trust that the sun's going to come up, I can trust God. That's what He's trying to tell you. His going forth is as certain as the sun coming up. Now, there, there will come a day when the sun gets replaced, but it was already up, and it stays up. And that day is in Revelation 22, is that right? 21, where he says that this, the sun is needed no more because the lamp is all the glory. It had a job to do. It did it every single day, and now it gives way to glory. But every day until then, the sun will come up, and every time you see that sun, we need to think about this. 
If I, if I draw near to God, he'll draw near to me. So notice our hope is certain. And finally, notice that his coming is sweet. This is our hope. Our hope is his coming. And his coming is sweet. It says his coming is like the spring rain that waters the earth. Now again, that helps me. Both of these pictures help me a lot. Because it assumes that it was dark for a while before the dawn came up. And the spring rain assumes that it's been winter for a while and pretty cold. Because that's what can happen in our lives. It happens in my life far too often. A coldness sets in. A darkness sets in. And there can be this subtle temptation to think, if I go back to God and give Him my all, like if I come to Him and say, Lord, it's been cold, and I want to give You my heart again, I want to surrender my whole self to You, there's this thought that who knows what He'll do. I mean, who knows what He's going to make you do. There's this thought that somehow He's going to treat you like a slave that ran away and came back. And now he's going to make you make up all the time that was lost. He's not like that. He's like spring rain when he comes. When you come and lay your life down before him and say, Lord, I want to be refreshed. I want to start walking with you. It's like a spring rain. Children, let me ask you a question. I need you to listen. So let me ask you a question. This is not going to work. That will work. What happens to grass during the winter? What color is grass usually in the winter? Green? green? Maybe a dull shade of green. <laughs> does it start to turn brown sometimes? It just doesn't look as bright as it does the rest of the year, does it? Well, what happens, what happens when um, spring comes? And you know that first day when you, it's been so cold and you always have to wear your jacket. But there comes this day you walk outside and you've got your jacket on. And you're like, I don't need my jacket anymore. And it's been raining a little bit. It's warm. What happens to that grass? Turn, yeah, it starts getting real green. What about the leaves? What happens to the leaves during the winter? They fall off. They're pretty for a few weeks. Really, really pretty. Then they, they got kind of those past, pastel. You'll learn about pastel later. They got these pastel colors. That they're, they're so bright. And they're, they're just, I mean, it's unbelievable. This place is amazing. And fall, but then they start kind of getting that that dark, uh, you know, they're darker red, they're a darker orange. And they start kind of blending together, and pretty soon they all go brown. They start shaking and they fall off. But what happens? What happens when spring comes? When it starts getting a little bit warmer and that rain has fallen? What happens to all those leaves? They start growing back. Now listen, that's what God is trying to teach you. And adults, that's what God is trying to teach us. That's what, it, that's what it's like to know the Lord. If you've ever wondered, what is it like to know the Lord? It's like that day when the rain starts falling and the grass starts coming to green. This, the grass starts turning green again. Here's what it's like to know the Lord. It's like the time when everything comes to life. That's what it's like. Knowing the Lord is just like that. It's like that day when you walk outside and all of a sudden everything started growing and it just looks amazing. And all you want to do is play outside. That's what it's like to know the Lord. So we need to remember one. We need to remember our aim. What is it we're trying to do? We, we want to know the Lord. That's the big thing. Number two, it will require effort 
our effort, you're going to have to press on. But it's not pressing on trying to make something happen. It's pressing on trying to keep everything out of the way. Because you're, you're abiding in Christ. And number three, our hope is that He will come to us. You never have to press very far with the Lord. He's very easy to live with. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these truths. Lord, I pray that you would bring them back to our mind throughout the week, especially about your love for us and how you think about us and the various pictures that you've given us in our families and outside to show us what you're like, Lord. I pray we would always be listening and I pray we would always have tender hearts that are ready to hear and listening to what you have to say to us. Lord, I think of what Paul said there when he said, I pray that God would, would fulfill every desire for good. Lord, I confess in my own life that it's far more often that I have desires than actually doing it. But Lord, I pray for us as a body. I pray for myself. Lord, fulfill every desire for good. Lord, a renewed sense of I want to start meeting with the Lord. I need a, I've fallen off. I need a consistent walk with the Lord. I pray, Lord, you would hear these prayers. And we know you will, Lord, because you're faithful. You're a good father. How much more would you give the Holy Spirit? Help us, Lord. Help us to see that love. That's our problem. We just, we don't believe it. And I pray you to help us to believe it. Amen.